I don't know. All right. My wife's not around. I'm a mess, so. All right. Leviticus chapter number 18. Look down at verse number 1. We've been working our way through Leviticus. Sorry about that. I, I forgot to turn it on. We've been working our way through Leviticus, and uh, we find ourselves in the 18th chapter, 18th week of this series. And uh, this is a pretty interesting chapter. And if you look down at verse 1, I want to show you just quickly tonight. We're trying not to spend more time than we need to, but I want to show you three things we can learn from this passage. In uh, verse 1, is the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. In this passage, uh, the, the, the word of God is dealing with the children of Israel who are getting ready at this time to enter into the promised land. Uh, at least they should be. We know they're going to wander 40 years in the wilderness because of their uh, disbelief, but God wants them to be preparing for that. And he begins to give them instructions into, as to how to deal with that promised land and how to deal uh, with the people in that land and with that nation. And before he gets there, before he starts talking to them about that, uh, we see in this passage and we learn from this passage that God desires his people in the Old Testament to live a separated life from the world. But what's interesting about that is that God also desires that for his people in the New Testament. You know, today we have these dispensational theology types that'll try to make it sound like the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament, or in different dispensations, he had different wills and different things that he wanted. And we understand that there are differences between the Old and New Testament, but I want you to understand that God's will has always been, at all times, whether you're an Old Testament believer or a New Testament believer, his will has been that Christians live a separated and sanctified life. Notice verse 3. After the doings, he's telling them, after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwell, ye shall not do. So he's telling, he's telling them, you just came out of Egypt, and the things that they did there, I don't want you to do those things. And then he says this, and after the doings of the land of Canaan, notice what he says, whither I bring you, shall ye not do, neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Keep your place there in Leviticus chapter 18. That's obviously our text for tonight. But go with me just real quickly to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And we'll look at a very familiar passage. You've seen it before. But do me a favor. When you get to 2 Corinthians, uh, put a bookmark there or a ribbon or something. Because we're going to leave it. And we're going to come back towards First and 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And, and we've seen these verses before. But I want you to look at them together. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, notice what he says, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then he says this, Wherefore... He says, because of that reason, because of the fact that uh, ye are the temple of living God, because of the fact that I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He says, wherefore, come out from among them and ye be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And here's the point that I want you to understand. 
Old or New Testament, God desires that we live separated, sanctified lives. Now, in Leviticus, he actually shows us how this is to be done. Notice, go back to Leviticus chapter 3. Keep your place there in 2 Corinthians, because we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and look at verse, I'm sorry, chapter 18, and verse number 3. Notice what he says. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. So he's saying, I don't want you to live like the Egyptians, like the Canaanites. Is that I want you to live uh, uh, different than the world. And by the way, that's why when the world looks at you and says, well, that's different. Hey, that's a good thing. Amen. That's not a criticism. When, when they say, oh, you're homeschooling your children? Well, I didn't know people did that. I thought most kids just went to... Look, don't be embarrassed by that. Hey, just, just realize that the things that the Egyptians do are not the things that we should do. And the things that the Canaanites do, when, when you announce that your wife's staying home to raise the children, they say, well, most women work today. Just realize, hey, it's good to be different. We're a peculiar people. God has called us to live a separated life. And you say, but how do you do that? Well, notice verse 4. Now, I want you to understand something, that separation is always connected to sanctification. Notice verse 4. He shall do my judgments. That's speaking about the word of God. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances. That's talking about the word of God again. To walk therein, I am the Lord your God. See, I want you to understand that in the Bible, separation is always connected to sanctification. And specifically, it's always connected to our relationship with the word of God. See, the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That's separation. But then he says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And the Bible is telling us, you know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And here's what I want you to understand. Because this is what I've noticed in our independent fundamental Baptist movements and even in our new IFB or whatever we're calling ourselves, you know. And even in this church, what I've noticed is that you have people and they'll come to church on Sunday morning and they'll come to church on Sunday night and they'll show up to church on Wednesday night and they'll go soul winning and they'll read the Bible and they'll do all sorts of things but then they go home and they still watch filth on their television. Or they go home and they still look at filth on, on, on the internet. Or they're still listening to worldly music. And they think like, well, I showed up to church on Wednesday night. Doesn't that make me holy? No, it doesn't. Because you actually have to change your life. When you're going home and watching movies with naked people on it, with nudity on it, with drunkenness on it, with fornication on it, you're not right with God. And you say, well, I go soul winning like two or three times a week. I don't care. You know what? Soul winning is important. But somewhere we decided that soul winning was like the litmus test for uh, spirituality. You know what the litmus test for spirituality is? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How clean are you living? Because you know what? God will use you out soul winning when you're purged and when you're right with God. But when you're going home and listening to music that is of the world or watching filth on the internet or watching filth on the television or whatever it might be, watching the movies of the world, it, look, you're not right with God. Say, but I read nine chapters a day. Look, it, it's not enough to read it. You got to apply it. Notice what he says. He says, ye shall, notice what he says. He doesn't say, ye shall read my judgments. He doesn't say, ye shall listen to Alexander Scurby read my judgments. 
He doesn't say, ye shall listen to Pastor Jimenez or Pastor Anderson or Pastor Romero preach about my judgments. What's he say? He says, ye shall do my judgments. He says, you shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. See, it's not enough for you to say, well, I know all about, yeah, you, you know, we got to Leviticus 18 and you're like, I know what pastor's going to preach about. That's the homo chapter. No, you know what? Before we get to the homos, let's get to your sin. Because the Bible says, you shall do my judgments. And I'm sick and tired of people saying, well, I'm right with God because I, you know, you check off your little Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning. Hey, that doesn't make you right with God. What makes you right with God is what you do in your daily life and how you actually do the judgments of God. And you're sitting there and watching filth, listening to filth, reading filth, whatever it might be. Hey, you're not right with God. Hate to break it to you. God desires that his people would live a separated. You say, well, how how does that work? It's always separated from and separated unto. Is you separate yourself from the world, but you separate yourself unto God. Sanctification. It's not enough to just not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but you, then you also have to, you know, keep the ordinances. You also have to wash yourself with the word. So we see here that God desires that all believers at all times be separated from the world. But then we see how. God expects for the Old Testament believers to deal with certain abominable sins. And this chapter goes into a lot of detail about these sins. There's a whole list of them. It begins in in chapter 6. But I want you to understand, before God gets on these abominable sins, notice that he first deals with his people. The Bible says that judgment must begin at the house of God. And we need to deal with our sins and make sure that we're walking righteously and we're walking right with God. And we're not just uh, living like the Egyptians and talking about what the Egyptians talking, talk about or what the Canaanites talk about. And then after he deals with that, then he says this and he goes into this list. Notice verse six. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him. Now he's going to start going into abominable sins here. And he gives us a whole list of them. And the first one is the sin of incest, of having a physical relationship within a family uh, that is near of kin. Notice what he says, to uncover their nakedness. God always, God never uses filthy language. He uses, you know, he's using this to speak about a physical relationship uh, between individuals. He says to uncover their nakedness. He says, I am the Lord. And then he goes into grave detail. Notice what he says in verse 7, the nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother. He's saying, this is something that ought not to be done. Shalt thou not uncover? She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Then he says in verse 8, the nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. So even if she's not your mother, she's just, you know, stepmom or whatever. He says, thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. Notice verse 9, the nakedness of thy sister the daughter of thy father or the daughter of thy mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad, even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover. The nakedness of thy son's daughter or of thy daughter's daughter. And I know some of you are like, well, Pastor, do you even have to read this? Do we have to go through this? Do we have to study this? You know what? Every word of God is pure. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all profitable. It's all good. And I'm going to show you tonight that it's all there for a reason. But I want you to notice verse 10. The nakedness of thy son's daughter. Okay, what is that? That's a grandchild. He's telling grandparents, hey, don't have a physical relationship with your grandchildren. 
or of thy daughter's daughter. Even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover, for there is thine own nakedness, the nakedness of thy father's wife's daughter. It's talking about a, 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 a half-sister, begotten of thy father. She is thy sister, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's sister. She is thy father's near kinswoman. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister, for she is thy mother's near kinswoman. It's talking about your and on. Then in verse 14, he says, uh, Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's brother. You say, why is he going into so much detail? Because, you know, he, he's just trying to make a point here of just the things that these people were doing. And he's just saying, look, all of this is abomination. Thy father's brother, thou shalt not approach to his wife. She is thine aunt. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy daughter-in-law. She is thy son's wife. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt... So notice it's not just... You know, near kins uh, is not just physical related. He's even just saying, you know, just being close in the sense that it's your son's wife. You know, don't uh, go in under. Look at verse 16. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife. It is thy brother's nakedness. That's a, that's a, a daughter. He's talking about a daughter-in-law. Then he's talking about a sister-in-law. Verse 17. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Neither shalt thou take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, for they are her near kinswoman. It is wickedness. He said, he's saying you don't have a relationship with a woman and, and her daughter, or again, her granddaughter. Uh, notice, or uh, look at verse 18. Neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister. He says you don't want to marry sisters or be in a relationship with sisters to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside the other in her lifetime. Notice verse 19, also thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put away for her uncleanness. So here's what I want you to understand. He's, he's going through all that, and basically all of that is just to spell out, you know, I don't want incest, and, and, and incest is an abomination, and he's given us this list. Then notice verse 20. Now verse 20 is something that's maybe a little more common. He says, moreover... Thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. What is that? It's adultery. And you know, today, adultery is given a pass. Today, adultery is just common. And they'll even use words to try to minimize it like, oh, he cheated on her. Or she cheated on him. Or they had an affair. You know, an affair sounds like you're having lunch. You know, adultery is, is what the Bible calls it. And here God puts it in the midst of this place, saying it's wicked that this would happen. And look, adultery is still a wicked sin, even in America, even in 2017. And, and then he says this in verse 21. He says, thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire of Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Now here's what's interesting. So far, we've had all of these sins that have to do with physical relationship, incest, adultery. Then he throws in this sin, and it seems like it's a unique sin in comparison to the rest. Because when we get back to the list, verse 20 and verse 23, again, we're talking about a physical relationship. We're talking about the sodomites in verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with woman. It, uh, womankind, it is abomination. Then in verse 23, he says, neither shalt thou lie uh, with any beast. Talking about bestiality. 
to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. So all of these sins have to do with the physical relationship. How and, and it's unnatural incest. It's unnatural. You know, I mean, can we all agree that a grandfather going in unto his granddaughter is just unnatural? You know, it's, it's just reprobate. And then you've got, you know, uh, the sodomites. And then you've got bestiality. And then he talks about adultery. And I don't believe that adultery is a reprobate sin. Um, you know, the Bible is very clear about that. But, but it's a very wicked sin that it has to do with physical relation. But it, and then in the midst of all that, in verse 21, he has a sin that has nothing to do with physical relationship. He says, and thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech. He's talking about sacrificing a child to this God, Molech. Neither shalt thou profane the name of the the Lord thy God. And when he says pass through fire, it's because they were literally burning these children in sacrifice. And you say, what does that have to do with the rest of these sins? But here's what I was just saying. The common denominator with all of these sins is that all of these sins are hurting children. Because when you have a grandfather going into his granddaughter, you people say like, the Bible doesn't mention pedophilia. When you got a grandfather going into his granddaughter, I think we got pedophilia. And, and then he, and, and guess what adultery does? It hurts children. And guess what abortions do? Because you say, oh, well, we don't, we don't sacrifice our children uh, and, and put them to death anymore. No, we don't sacrifice them on the altar of Molech, but we do sacrifice them on the altar of convenience. And we sacrifice them on the altar of, I'm selfish. And we sacrifice them on the altar of, we've got these girls and these boys running around like hordes and whoremongers that can't, you know, just get married and have children like God commanded. They want to have their own lives. They want to do their own thing. So, you know, we're doing that sin too in America. You know, sacrificing children. But here you say, well, how's that connected? Here's how it's connected. Because all of these sins have to do with hurting children. That's why I always think it's funny. Because people will attack us. Because, you know, like when the whole Orlando thing happened, I was preaching about it. And what I said in my sermon was, I said, you know, I don't ask me if I'm, if I'm upset about these 50 homos getting, getting killed in Orlando. And what I was saying is, if you listen to the sermon, I said, that's like asking me if 50 pedophiles got killed, would I be sad? And the answer is no. You know, I'd be happy about it because pedophiles deserve to die because they hurt children. And, and people are saying like, well, you can't equate. You know, a pedophile to a sodomite. But it's interesting because this whole list has to do with hurting the family and hurting children. And that's why the sacrifice of children is thrown in there. Even though it has nothing to do with with a physical relationship. Because all of these sins are going to hurt children. When you're affecting the family unit, you're hurting children. You know, when when you're allowing these filthy animals to adopt kids, you're hurting children. It ought not be done. And we see here how God expects... For his people in the Old Testament, how God expects for it to be dealt. Because he goes through this list. Notice again, verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Again, I'm always just, the Bible, you know, there's some things in Scripture that are not super clear. You know, there's some things about baptism that honestly, it's not that clear. I, I think just, uh, just yesterday, or somebody was asking me about you know, what do we believe about who can perform baptisms? And to be honest with you, there is no commandment in Scripture that says, tells us who can perform baptisms and who can't. At Verity Baptist Church, we take the stand that uh, only ordained 
ministers, you know, whether it's a pastor or a deacon or an evangelist, should perform baptisms? You say, well, why do you do that? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but that's the pattern we find in Scripture. When you go through the book of Acts, you'll find that the only people performing baptisms are always ordained. So if everyone that was a a performer of baptism in the Bible was an ordained apostle, evangelist, deacon, then we just follow that pattern. But honestly, there's no clear commandment of that. You know, so there's things that are not that clear that, you know, people could have questions about or argue about. And I understand that. But here's what I don't understand, how just all of Christianity and all of independent formal Baptists, they're all confused as to what God thinks about sodomites. I mean, it's pretty clear what God thinks about it. We don't have to sit there and say, well, there's no clear statement. We just kind of see this pattern. No, look, he says, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with a woman. It is abomination. And then he tells us how it should be dealt with. He says, neither shalt thou lie with any beast. And by the way, that's coming. And you, and, and you look at, here's the thing, you look at this list and you're like, none of that applies today. Why are we preaching? But you know what? There was a day when people, when a pastor would have stood up to preach Leviticus 18, and people would have said, none of that applies today. Why preach it? None of it applies today. I mean, there was a day when people heard of sodomites and never even seen one. You know, they never even knew a one. They, it was just something they kind of, that people knew, they, they knew about because of the Bible. And I'm sure men of God stood up to preach Leviticus 18, and people said, Pastor, you don't have to preach that. That doesn't apply today. None of that stuff applies today. But you know what? Today we would look at it, and today we would say, most of that doesn't apply today. Because don't we live in a society today where people still think it's wrong to, you know, have incest? I mean, unless you're like in the deep south or something. You know, people, people still think that's wrong. People still think bestiality is wrong. But here's what I'm saying. Now, all of a sudden, homosexuality is normal. And here's what I'm telling you. 50 years from now, there'll be one more thing on this, on this list that'll be normal. And 50 years from now, there'll be another thing on this list that'll be normal. And in 50 years, there'll be another thing. And eventually, everything on this list will be normal, and God will destroy this nation. It's just going to happen because everything that these people were doing, everything that's on this list is something that these people were actually doing. We're going to see that here in a minute. Notice verse 24. He says, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in, notice what he says. For in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. He's telling us the nations that God destroyed, the nations that God sent the children of Israel to destroy, he said they do all of these things. Everything on this list was something that they did. In fact, go back to verse 3. Notice how the chapter begins. He says, After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwell, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, shall ye not do. And then he goes on and tells us what they do in Egypt and what they do in Canaan. And in verse 24, he says, Defile ye not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. Notice verse 25. And then God gives the reason as to why he's having these nations destroyed. He says, And the land is defiled, therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Keep your place place there in Leviticus uh, 18. Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 20. Deuteronomy chapter number 20. Just a few uh, books over. You got Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 20. And look at verse number 10. I want you to, I want to show you something interesting in scripture. Because today you have people that will attack the God of the Bible. And they'll say things like this. I can't serve a God 
that told Joshua in the Old Testament to go into certain nations and destroy it all. To kill man, woman, and child, and to just burn it up. There's no hope for it. But here's the thing. God did not say that about all nations. And let me show you what what God says about that. Deuteronomy chapter 20, look at verse 10. In in Deuteronomy 20, and the first part of the chapter, is the chapter we usually go to, or the passage we usually read when we're reading in Deuteronomy 20, is where he gives the instructions for going to war. And he says, if you're afraid, you know, go home. That's where Gideon got the instructions from. That's what we normally look at. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 20 and verse 10. He says, when thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, notice what he says. Then proclaim peace unto it, and it shall be, if it make uh, if it uh, if it make the answer of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. So notice what he said. He said, if you're going to go out to war, he said, I don't want you to just go fight people. He said, the first thing you do is you give them a chance. You say, hey, we're going to come take over. You know, but we'd rather we'd rather just do it peace. And he says, if they come out and give you peace, then you take them as tributaries. Then you put them, you know, you put taxes on them. They serve you, but you don't kill them. Now, notice what he says in verse 12. And if it will make no peace with thee. So if you give them the option to make peace and they say, no, let's fight. But we'll make war against thee. Then thou shalt besiege it. And when thy Lord, the, when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands... Thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself, and thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. So notice what he said. He says, you go to battle, you say, hey, can we just do this peaceably? If they come out with peace, he says, don't kill anybody. Just take them as tributaries, take them as servants, they're going to serve you, and that's fine. But if you give them the option for peace and they want to fight anyway, then once you've won that battle, he says you kill all the men. That's their punishment for not taking peace, you know, when they, when they could have. He said you kill all the men, but you save all the women and the little ones, you save all the cattle. Notice verse 16. Thou shalt do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations. Now notice verse 16. But, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth, but thou shalt utterly destroy them. Namely, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their, notice this word, abominations. He said, what abominations? Well, we just read about them in Leviticus 18. That's all that they were doing, which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. So I want you to notice, God did not say, go in and just destroy everything. He said, make, try to make peace and try to uh, work it out that way. But he says, certain nations, and the nation uh, that, that, the, that basically the promised land, what God gave the children of Israel, what they were supposed to do is go in and utterly destroy it. Why? Because it was perverted. Because they, were, because they were doing all these things. Because of the fact that they were having incest and having bestiality and having uh, uh, sodomite run rampant. Go to, go to Genesis chapter number 15. Genesis chapter 15. Let me show you one more thing. You say, well, why doesn't God give them a chance? And look, please understand this. 
We believe in the doctrine of, of reprobates. The Bible is very clear that, look, the, the Spirit of God will not always strive with men. There comes a point where you cross a line. God gives you a chance and God gives you chances, but if you reject Him and you reject Him and you reject Him, eventually God will reject you. But look, nations are the same way. And it's not like God is on a hair trigger to just destroy. You know, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, and we won't take the time to go there. But remember when God was getting ready to destroy Sodom, and Abraham kept doing those deals with God and saying, what if you find 50 righteous? What if you find 45 and 40 and 30 and 20 and 10? Remember that God would have spared them if there were 10 righteous. But there were not. So God is not on this hair trigger. You know, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he wants to give people a chance. But like a person can cross the line and there's no longer hope for them, I want you to understand, nations can do that as well. And a nation can cross a line where there's just no hope for it. Where, and I'm not saying that everybody in the nation is a reprobate, but there's just no hope for that nation. And God will destroy that nation. Notice uh, Genesis 15. And look at verse number, uh, I was going to have you start at verse 16, but you know what, let's, um, let's start just for, uh, for a little bit of context. Look at verse 13. Genesis 15 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now what, what is that a reference to? That's the, 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 the captivity in Egypt. Abraham's children, his seed, was a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict their, them 400 years. So the, the, the descendants of Abraham were under captivity, were under affliction for 400 years. Now notice verse 14, that's, that's with Egypt. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. What is that a reference to? A reference to Moses. When Moses goes in, you got the ten plagues, and they come out um, out of there with great substance. Moses 15. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. That's talking to Abraham. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Now notice verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. Notice what he says. He said, well, why, why couldn't they just have the land right there with Abraham? Why couldn't they go into Canaan land and possess the land? Why did they have to go? Why do we have the story of Jacob, the story of Joseph? Why did they go to Egypt? Why did they spend 400 years? Why do they do that? Notice what he says in verse 16. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. See, God gave these people 400 years to try to make it right. He, gave, he didn't just say, I'm going to destroy the Amorites. He said, Abraham, you know what? I know how things are going to go. I'm perfect, and I, uh, you know, I know uh, the beginning from the end. I know how things are going to go, and I know that 400 years from now, the Amorites are going to cross the line, and I'm going to use you to judge them. But notice, he's making it clear that these people had a chance. In fact, they gave him 400 years. And, I, and, and, and Sodom had a chance. And the Old Testament Israelites had a chance. And, and you know what? I believe the United States of America has a chance or had a chance, but you do cross a line. And you say, well, how do you know? When societies get perverted, the same way that you know that a, that a person is a reprobate when they become a pervert is, is basically when, a, when an entire society becomes perverted. Just know that there's no hope for them. And look, there are some countries in this world that I believe there is no hope for them. There's no point of sending missionaries there. God's done with them. God, and I'm not saying that individuals, I'm not saying individuals cannot get saved. On Sunday, we had, some, we had a man here 
uh, from Pakistan. He said that he, listened, he was listening to the preaching of, of Verity Baptist Church on the internet from Pakistan. All right. So I'm not saying that people can't get saved in these countries. But what I am saying is that by and large, many of these nations have made their decisions. They've decided to go against God and God has by and large given up on them. You're not going to see a lot of fruit there. And you're not and you don't really see God even really telling us to go spend a lot of time there trying to God wants us to spend time where there's going to be where people are going to be receptive. That's why we go down to Mexico. That's why we go to the Philippines. That's why we, you know, go to the ghettos, you know. That's why we do those things. Why? Because we want to go where people want to hear the gospel. Go back to uh, Leviticus 18. Notice what he says. Look at verse 25. And the land is defiled, therefore. I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. The land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Notice verse 26. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. Notice what he says in verse 27. For all, is that word all? For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. Every single thing we read on this list, those people were doing. That's why he destroyed them. That's why he cast them out. Look at verse 29. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the soul that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. You say, what does that mean? Because he said, you know, what are they supposed to do with these people? They're supposed to be cut off. You say, what does that, what does that mean? What are they supposed to do with these people? Well, go to Leviticus chapter 20. We're going to steal a little bit of our thunder from a couple of weeks from now. Look at verse 13. He said, what does it mean to cut them off? Because sometimes cutting people off just means separating from them. But sometimes cutting people off means separating from them for good. Because in Leviticus 20, 13, the Bible says this, If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. Notice, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. You say, do you believe that we should go put these people to death? No, here's what you need to understand, all right? We're talking to Old Testament Israel. We're talking to the nation of Israel, and we're learning about how God wanted the Old Testament believers in their nation to deal with this, because they had their own nation with their own legal code, and they had all that. And here's what God did. When God was running a nation, you know what he did? He put the death penalty on the sodomites, and on bestiality, and on pedophiles. He cut them off. He took, he took them out from among men. He put the death penalty on them. You say, should we be doing that today? Well, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, under the laws of God, in the nation of God, that's what God's will was. And that's not, we don't live in Old Testament Israel. We live in Babylon, USA. All right. So, you know, we don't live under those laws. So, you know, we, we shouldn't be vigilantes that go out and do that. But here's what I want you to understand. This is how God feels about it. Say, I wonder how God feels about the Sodomites. Here's how he feels about them. Put them to death. That's what if God had his way and you say, well, doesn't God have his way? Look, today there's the God of this world is Satan. The Bible is very clear about that. Satan is the one that's running this world. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's why Satan could offer the kingdoms of this world to Christ when he was here. How could he offer them? Because he controls them. And that's very clear throughout the Bible. But you know what? One day, the Lord Jesus Christ will come back. 
And one day he will reign on this earth again. And one day we will live under the Levitical laws again. And guess what? There's going to be the death penalty on sodomites. And there's going to be death penalty on bestiality. And there's going to be death penalty on pedophiles. And there's going to be death penalty on incest. There's going to be death penalty on all of these things. Because that's how God feels about it. So here's what we learn. We learn that God desires that all believers, Old and New Testament, be separated from the world. We also learn that God desired in the Old Testament how the Old Testament believers were supposed to deal with these abominable sins when they were within their own nation, when God was running the show and they were following the laws of God. But then we have this question, how should we deal with these abominable sins in the New Testament as New Testament believers? Well, here's what's interesting is that there's actually a very clear uh, connection between Leviticus 18 and a New Testament book. I'd like you to see it. Now, before we go there, go look at Leviticus 18. Now, I want you to look at verse number 8. Leviticus 18 and verse number 8. Leviticus 18.8. Leviticus 18.8 says this. The nakedness of thy father's wife. Right? The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. Now, here he's not talking about your mother, because he talked about that in verse 7. So he's talking about a stepmother, all right? So not, a phys- not, not blood relatives, but he says, look, if it's, if it's your father's wife, I don't want you to uncover her nakedness. It is thy father's nakedness, all right? So I want you to remember that, the nakedness of thy father's wife. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because what's interesting is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have a sin that's brought up that's actually a sin on the list from Leviticus 18. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 5. And I know we look at this a lot, but look at it together. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. Notice what it says. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And he says, but look, it's, it's worse than just fornication. He says, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Here's what he's saying. It's, it's extreme. It's something that not even Gentiles, that just regular people aren't doing this. He says that one should have his father's wife. Isn't that what Leviticus 18.8 says? So look, we, we have an example in the New Testament about how they dealt with a sin that's mentioned in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to cut them off, Right? They're supposed to put them to death. They're supposed to take them out, separate them from the congregation, and, and, and I believe uh, separate them from, from life because that's what the context, and, you, and there's all sorts of other verses that we go to that we're not going to take time. But now we're in the New Testament. Now we've got the church at Corinth who's living in the society of the Corinthians, not Israel, and they've got the same sin. A young man that's uh, having a physical relationship with his father's wife and you say, well, how do they deal with it in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, in the, in, the book of, in the New Testament? Notice verse 2. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit which the Lord, uh, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. And I want you to notice what he said. He said he's praying that Satan will destroy his flesh, 
that his spirit may be saved. Okay? Did he say, let's go get a militia and put this guy to death because that's what the Levitical law says? Did he say, let's overturn the government and I don't care what the Corinthians say, you just do, you know, martial law or whatever because that's what the Old Testament... No, he says, look, in the New Testament, we don't live under the Old Testament law. Praise God, one day we will. But he says, for this situation, you just want to pray that Satan will destroy his flesh. For that, that Satan will mess him up. That the spirit may be saved. But then he also says this. Skip down to verse 9. Just to save a little time. Look at verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. And he's specifically talking about this young man. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. Uh, then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one, no, not to eat. For what have I to do uh, uh, to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, notice what he says, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. What wicked person? The young man that should have his father's wife. So here's what I just said. In the Old Testament, when they were living under the laws of God, he says, put him to death. And by the way, you never see in the Old Testament when the children of Israel are living in captivity, you never see them taking law into their own hands. Now here's what you do see a lot. You see them not submitting themselves to laws that go against God. Like when Daniel is told you're not allowed to pray, he's going to pray anyway. When you know, the midwives in Exodus are told to put the children to death, they're not going to obey that law. You know, we ought to obey God rather than men. And, and look, I don't care if they make a law that says that every child has to be put in a government institution. My children aren't going. Amen. You know, I, I don't. You say, how are you going to do that? I don't know. They're going to disappear from this earth. You know, if they make a law that says you're not allowed to, 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 to uh, discipline your children the way the Bible says to do it with, you know, with, with spanking them and beating them like the Bible says, you know what? I'm still going to do it because that's what the Bible says. If they make a law that says it's illegal to go soul winning, I'm still going to preach the gospel. If they make a law that says it's illegal to read the Bible, I'm still going to read the Bible. We should not allow the government to make laws that impose themselves on our relation with God. But at the same time, we don't have to take laws into our own hands when it comes to other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? When it comes to like, you know, well, we got to get all these homos and we got to get all these pedophiles. No, that's something the government should be doing. And you say, well, what should we do? Preach about it. Preach about what God says. And then here's what we should also do. Kick them out of church. Amen. Not allow them in church because notice what they did. They said not to company with fornicators. They said, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So here's the question. If God it says that if a guy is going to bed with his father's wife, you're supposed to kick them out of church. And that's sin. Look, nothing in the Bible is in there by coincidence, accidentally. That sin is also mentioned in the list of all sorts of sins in Leviticus 18. Do you think that God wants any of the people in that sin to be part of, of our church? Look, you, you think if, if, there's a, if there's a grandfather going to bed with his granddaughter that we should just let them in church? You think there's some weirdo that marries a dog that we should just allow them to be part of our church? I mean, and here's the thing. Should we allow sodomites to be part of our church? The answer is no. Because if this guy got kicked out, the sin is in the same list. 
You understand what I'm saying? It's the same. It's all, you know, this perverted. And God says, take them out. And today, but here's the thing. Today you got independent from Baptists who just refuse to believe that and accept that. I was... Somebody sent me a, a, a CD from a conference of these independent formal Baptists. You know, not our conference. It wasn't a CD from the Red Hot Preaching Conference. It was a CD from another conference of pastors in the IFP movement. And, you know, people, you know they sent it to me in the mail for free. I thought, I'm just going to listen to this. And, you know, there's like four sermons on there. And three of them were great. You know, honestly, there's nothing in them that I had a problem with. In fact, I felt like I learned several things from there and, and I, you know, things that we could apply in, in our church, whatever. But there was one sermon. Where the guy, where he's getting up and he's like, he's talking about how this lady came to him and she's like, and, and he's and, and she's saying, you know, um, are sodomites allowed in the church? And he says to her like, well, they're not allowed to be active members, but they're always welcomed, you know, in the church services. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Okay, guess what? You know what makes you a member? The fact that you show up to church. That's what makes you a member. You say, it's a congregation of believers. You, you show up. You know, so it's not that we put your name on a, on a piece of paper. And look, I'm, I'm all for membership. I don't have an issue with that. But I'm saying, you know, like, well, you can't be a member, but you're walking. And the lady was like, oh, well, that's so great because, you know, my uh, brother or whatever, blah, blah. And then here's what he said. He's like, we should always allow these people in church. And here's what scared me. You hear all these amens from all these pastors at this conference. Here's the thing. They didn't say amen for anything else. I mean, when they were talking about soul winning, it was quiet. They're talking about preaching the Bible, it was quiet. But when it's like, bring the son of my tent, it's like, amen. You know, it's like, I'm just like, whoa. It's in the same list. When the sin in Leviticus 18 is brought up in 1 Corinthians, and he tells you, when he tells you, hey, there's a young man sleeping with his father's wife, Paul, what do you think we should do? He says, kick him out. Pray that the devil will destroy his body. But then on the same list, you got sodomites, and it's like, bring him in. No. It's the same list. We're not supposed to, you say, well, are we supposed to put them to death? No. That, that's not what New Testament believers do, because we don't have that authority. We don't have that power. We, it's not our government. But you know what it is? It is our church. And we're never going to allow the government to control the church. Because it's the church of the living God. Because it's the church that Christ died for. It's the church that God, that Christ established. It's the church that God had. So it's interesting because I, I, I think that God purposely brought one sin from the list of Leviticus 18 over to the New Testament just to show us, here's how you deal with it as New Testament believers. How do you deal with it as New Testament believers? You kick them out of church. You don't allow them to be part of the congregation. How do you deal with it? Uh, as Old Testament believers or one day as millennial believers, when you're living under the government of the Lord Jesus Christ, you put him to death because that's what he says. You know, but here's the thing. Whether you're living in Old Testament, whether you're living in New Testament, whether you're living in the millennial reign, God always desires that his people would be separated from the world, would be sanctified, would live a separated life. And to not look, you shouldn't be communing with these people. You know, you work with sodomites, I get that. I'm not telling you to quit your job or anything, but you, they, you don't, don't become best friends with these people because that's not what God wants. That's not what God desires. God desires that we would live a separate life. And if God had his way, they'd be put to death. Amen. That's what the Bible says. That's why I heard the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these passages. I know they're difficult and people in our society don't understand it, don't like it. But Lord, help us to just... Look at what the Bible says. Help us just be honest. 
And if, if God says that that's his will is that they be put to death, let's not sugarcoat it. That's his will. When we look at it in the New Testament, he says, don't take matters into your own hands. Just kick them out of church. Then let's just be faithful in that area. And Lord, I just pray that, I pray that you'd allow Verity Baptist Church to, to always be a church that is um, serving you and loving you and free of sin. Lord, I pray, that, I pray that you'd put a hedge of protection around this church, that you would never allow some pedophile, some sodomite to come in here and prey on our children. Lord, I pray that you'd never allow some, some whore or whoremonger to come in here and try to break up a family by committing adultery. Lord, I, I just pray that you would just protect this church, Lord. And I pray for our church people, that you would help them not to think they're spiritual because of the things they do. But Lord, help them to realize that spirituality has to do with the areas that we deny ourselves and where we walk in righteousness. Lord, and just help us to live a sanctified life, help us to live a separated life, and help us to just uh, walk with you. We love you, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.